Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is the Mark Boris Podcast. Uh, good morning. This is the day after Australia Day. Hopefully everybody had a great day, Australia Day. Um, it ended up doing a pretty good weather in Sydney. Um, I had a pretty mad day. I um, had the usual barbecue and uh, a couple of beers and uh, went to the beach, had a swim, went to my parents' place, did everything Australian. Uh, what did you do, Nick, Boris? I was uh, enjoying your your place in Byron Bay. What about Cabaret? Thanks, thanks for providing. No, no, no Cabaret. Yeah, Cabaret. Uh, on the way home, I stopped off at a mate's place in Cabaret, great part of the world. Um, probably couldn't get more cliche Australian day than his place. He's got a fibro house, little blue fibro house with a white picket fence, uh, overgrown backyard. He, he he got his mower out and and did a big um, big bald spot for a, a makeshift cricket cricket pitch. Uh, had a game game backyard cricket barbecue. Uh, lots of little families running around. It was pretty Australian. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Forda. Just a barbecue, mate. Fam- oh, you leave me like that. Just, <laughs> just, just a barbecue uh, actually at uh, Lisa Wilkinson's place. Lisa oh, Wilkinson's cool. Peter Fitzsimons' place. So, so at least you got the um, uh, member of Order of Australia. Member Order, of, Order, Order of Australia, Australia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, well um, deserved. Congratulations to everybody who got... Uh, an award yesterday, and uh, by the way, congratulations to all those people who deserve an award. Is the anniversary of your award? Uh, no, I got mine in the Queen's Birthday um, Honours, okay, right. which was June last year, um, which is actually not the Queen's Birthday either, by the way, but uh, that's when I got mine. Uh, but good on Lisa, she's a, she's a beauty. I sent her a text yesterday just to say congratulations. Uh, she probably got a shock when uh, I got, hell, I got a text message. Hey, Jakey. Hello. How was your straight day to you, mate, for yesterday? Yeah, you too. What did you do? I went and visited my grandma. Yeah, cool. Yeah, we looked up in Hornsby. We um, been researching the family history, so went up there and racked her brain on, you know, the Round and Fisher family. Was it because you found out you had a grandma, or? Oh no, it wasn't <laughs> a surprise, grandma. Okay, okay. Um, no, this is no, a grandma just, you knew about. Yeah, grandma I knew about. Just taking interest in the family history and visiting her up in her retirement village thing. Uh, and what are we? What are we wearing today, by the way? Uh, I'm in a double velvet blue suit. Double velvet. Yeah. It was double velvet. Like, oh, well, you know, like velvet pants and a velvet jacket. Oh, my I God. I guess it's double. I don't know. Yeah, Very styling, man. Like, uh, the rest of us look like shit bags, but uh, you look fantastic. Oh, thanks. Well, it's as always. As always. Oh, thank you. Well, it is 700 degrees in here, so I'm kind of regretting it now. <laughs> it is a bit odd. The air conditioning's not working, but it doesn't matter. We'll be right. We'll lose a bit of weight. Okay, well, look, one of the reasons... Um, that's well, one of the things we always hear about is um, how, do, how, how does this process of negotiation work? How, how do you negotiate? And uh, one of the reasons we've got Fordo sitting here at the microphone, uh, is one of the partners of this business, uh, the TMBS or the Mark Borough Show, but uh, he's normally sitting over there on the couch uh, looking at his emails and stuff like that, looking after his clients. Um, one of the reasons we've got Fordo here is because uh, he's in the management business and it's called the Fordham Group. Is it called the Fordham Group? The Nick? Fordham Company. Fordham Company. Yeah. Um, Maybe you should tell us a little bit about it. I know it. I know your dad and um, your dad started up the business. Is that right? Uh, parents started the business in 1979, the year I was born. Uh, had the garage converted. Um, it started as a PR business, so um, used to look after international airlines and hotels. And why did your dad uh, start a PR business? I mean, what sort of he, got him to do that? Uh, background: He was a journalist, um, and back in the day, major companies like Qantas when they wanted a head of PR, would hire a journalist. So 
rather than hiring someone in PR because it really didn't exist. You know, it's, it's a really it's a corporate communications role. Um, so he was boy from Newcastle, hadn't travelled before, headhunted by Qantas and posted to America for five years to run Qantas in North America. So is that how he knows Paul? Casey? Yeah. Yeah. Through the airline, the, Through the airline. A- aviation industry. Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. I knew I knew Paul, obviously, but I didn't realise that it, it that your dad was involved in that um, yeah. airlines. So then, from the PR business in the mid early nineties, um, really before people, there's a, a famous guy around Sydney, Harry M. Miller. Yeah, I remember Harry, um, who's not well these days. No. Um, and Harry was probably the first real agent around town, like like talent manager, talent yeah. manager, but think. Pre-rugby league being professional, rugby union, AFL, cricket. Um, so it was more of, you know, people like uh, um, people on television. But Deborah Hutton. What's that? Deborah Hutton. Deborah Hutton. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that, that's how it sort of – the first client was Ricky Stewart. Um, so was your first client? Or our your first client yeah, was yeah. Ricky Stewart. Is that right? Still is a client, of course. Still is a client, 20-something years after. Um, so, and then the next client, the real client was, um, you know, first official client was John Laws, you know, and back in those days when... Oh, Laws is a client of Fordham Group. Yes. So, Fordham Company. Fordham Company. Lawsy, um, yeah, so that was 1991. Lawsy was uh, signed with us and that sort of transformed our business and really... St- Put it, pushed us in this direction because, you know, in those days in commercial radio and Lawsy was on 60-something stations around the country and earning tens of millions a year, it, um, it really pushed us in that direction. And, and that, that's the point. So I think one of the hardest things I've, we've observed you, Nick, Nick Boris and I have observed you from afar, and, of course, Fordham Company is my manager too, my agent, um, uh, particularly when it comes to things like uh, uh, you know, TV and The Apprentice and those sorts of things. Um, one of the things we observed about you, Nick, and I, I guess you've it's sort of DNA based, but and also experience based. Um, you guys are negotiating all the time, and most of the time you negotiate with big organisations. So, someone like John Laws, for example, and I don't want you to reveal any yeah, secrets, yeah. obviously, but someone like John Laws, when he was you know one of your early clients, and he makes he made a lot of money. Um, a lot of the money wasn't necessarily just made with the radio station; it was made with sponsors and people. The ma- majority of the, the money, saying commercial radio, is made up of commercial sponsors. Commercial so, sponsors, yeah. yeah. So you have to get in there and negotiate on behalf of your client um, with Coca-Cola or someone like that. Yep. And uh, there's just one out. So it was early days. It was the old man, John. Yep. And today, you. At one stage, I guess both of you, both of you. And uh, you'd be sitting there arm wrestling with these big organisations who had like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of resources, people, that is, and you're there sort of eyeballing them and trying to say to them, look, oh, my client wants a million bucks for this uh, segment, and they're saying, look, our budget's only 100000 Is that the sort of... Yeah, I mean, it's... Um, uh, I, I suppose with our industry, it's the, um, the most important thing is having great clients because you never want to have a client that, you know, that you want a million dollars for something and... The other end, they've they've got a hundred. You want to know that they want to spend a million on your client. So, I think having the right talent first, the right client first, is the most important thing. So, the first art of negotiation, the first thing in the art of negotiation, Nick, is that um, about making sure that you're not going into negotiation where it's impossible. In other words, it's not a million dollars versus a hundred thousand. It's about understanding that there is. Um, some closeness in terms of where the two are going to meet. There's there's closeness, um, but having knowing um, knowing you have something that they want um, is probably the first step. Um, not How do you identify that? Um, <clears throat> well, it's probably having a, it's where we've been fortunate as a company of having uh, very hand selected clients. So you know, in in AFL, we have in my view the best guy in AFL, which is Paul Ruse as a coach and. In rugby league, Ricky Stewart, Craig Bellamy, Andrew Johns, Wally Lewis, those types of guys, cricket, Mark Taylor. So making sure in the industry that you work in um, that you have – that your talent is, is at the top of the tree. So if that company is wanting to access someone from that field, that you have someone that's very valuable to them and um, someone's u- unique and, and someone who – one thing we try to do um, is not overexpose our clients. So – they don't have 35 commercial arrangements that the companies that they're with, they've been with, you know, an example like a Mark Taylor is coming up to, you know, 15 years with Fujitsu. Fujitsu yeah, yeah. You know. And so someone like a Fujitsu, 
uh, with a Mark Taylor is that, you know, when people think, when they do their focus groups and research of, you know, every time that people connect summer cricket, Mark Taylor, Fujitsu. Air conditioning. Air Japanese air conditioning brand. So you don't think in summer, you don't think Dakin, you don't think Panasonic, you, it's Fujitsu, Australia's favourite air. Yeah, yeah, no, and uh, uh, Tubby's sort of uh, living up to his name is getting better and better at it. I of mean, course. becoming more recognisable. So I, I think that's the, yeah, the, to answer your question, I think that's the, that's the important thing of when going to a negotiation of, of making sure that, you know, you back yourself of, of knowing. Um, that your you, product. That the, your product is something that is highly desirable from from the the other side's perspective. Yeah, so like, in, in other words, you've know, got to know your product really well and you've got yep. to know what the demand side is. Sure. So that, that applies to any product or service, not just 100%. in case in your your case of talent management or people management. Yeah. I mean, not to sort of um, make it sound too sort of ruthless, but your product is people. Hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, so like uh, Mark Taylor is a a product that you have to co- sell in inverted commas. Yeah, a, a product. Yeah, and he, he's a brand. You know, he's yeah, yeah. A, he's a trusted and reliable brand that you know. Um, so what do you do about that brand? Do you actually help him build that brand in order to make your, nego- his neg- your negotiations on his behalf better? It's just like any customer who's talking about, any, sorry, listener now who's talking about or thinking about um, doing a negotiation in relation to their product and they might be trying to deal with Woolworths and absolutely crapping themselves <clears throat> because they're dealing with a big organisation. I mean, are you, do you suggest that people build the brand up first a little bit, like keep working Very on Very much brand? so, yeah. Uh, and that's one of the fortunate things about our business that we've had time to build people up, you know, a lot of our clients, um, including yourself, have been with us for a long period of time. So <clears throat> you're able <clears throat> you're able to build um, relationships with people, being able to position them in the right space, um, making sure that every commercial arrangement that you, you enter into is going to benefit the next one. So not taking the quick cash and, and going with a company or a brand that doesn't fit with them, uh, making sure that um, always, you know, protecting them as a brand and um, just positioning them in the right space. So you as the, <clears throat> excuse me, as the negotiator, yeah. are you continually out there in the marketplace shaking hands, look, talking to people, meeting people in, in various or big organisations, trying to work out whether or not which one of your, your clients, one, which one of your client and their brand may actually f- fit into that organisation's message that they want to send. So, for example, are you out there all the time talking to, um, you know, watch companies, car companies, airline companies, and uh, and just sort of mentally sort of um, analysing, well, you know, I've got this, this particular client, that client, might, their brand might actually fit into the message that this particular airline is trying to sell. Yeah. Is that what you do? Yeah, I do, and I, I encourage my staff as well to always um, <clears throat> dig through publications, whether it's ad news or pulling out the Weekend Australian, lift out colour magazine on the weekend to see what companies are doing, what message they're trying to get across, where they're spending, um, just to really keep your finger on the pulse. One of the great things that I, you know, I've inherited from my old man and my mum um, is relationships, you know. So I always try to find that rather than going to companies cold all the time, you know, to make sure that you build as many relationships no matter what you're doing, you know, pressing the flesh and shaking hands and following up with people. It's, you know, I think relationships is such an important thing in any negotiation. So any company trying to trying to go in cold or when their product's not as sophisticated as it should be, it's, you know, make sure you build the brand first um, and then go in and try to negotiate. Don't try to negotiate, you know, with someone as big as Woolworths uh, without really establishing your brand or your product. And also relationships. Because so that's sort of interesting, um, what you just said. Uh, not only are you um, not only are you doing your research as to who the potential interested entities might be to sell the product, mm. in other words, use that product for their particular business. In the case, it could be Woolworths using a product for the shelf, one of our listeners. It could be um, an airline using one of your clients to send a message that they want to send. It could be uh, an air conditioning company like Fujitsu using Mark Taylor to sell their message, that is, be cool in the summer, particularly when you're watching the cricket. Um, not only are you out there looking, so this is what people who are listening to the show, not only are you out there looking for the potential users of the product, which is what you've got to do if you're listening to the show and you've got a new business, but also you're out there building relationships with those organisations 
And it would seem to me one of the best ways you build a relationship in any situation is you build familiarity. Because with familiarity with the with the client, I'm um, sorry, familiarity with the organisation is going to be paying the, the fee. To build familiarity, you've got to, when you're building familiarity, you build trust. And the way you do it is you tell people you know a little bit about what they're doing. So mm. you know about what that particular organisation does. If it's Woolworths, you know what Woolworths does. You know what the individual within that Woolworths does. You invite him to the tennis or you might invite him to something or other or you find something that is common ground between the two of you yeah. and then you communicate. You've got to communicate. So there's no point trying to negotiate cold. I mean, like you've got a new product, you want to get on those shelves of Woolworths, just don't, I mean, you can try, you can send them an email, but it's probably going to bounce on you because you don't know anybody there. You've got to find a person there to send it to, and maybe it's better to be sending it to Coles, Woolworths and Aldi, all three. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think it's next to impossible to try and sell something in cold, especially with a company the size of Woolworths, you know, a difference of having a product. Um, you know, I'm fortunate enough, if we, we've covered on previous podcasts, one of my business partners and another project is Adam McDougall and the Manshake because it's – and the way we've had so much success is that is because it's such a unique product and it stands alone. And I find so many people that you hear their great ideas but they sort of sound like another product, you know, that point of difference of something that really stands on, it own, on its own and is highly desirable. Um, and that's why um, – Seeing when people are trying to launch a you know a new gluten free organic um, pot of nuts or something, it's like well, you walk into a supermarket, there's you know there's a whole aisle of nuts. So, but what's the difference? I mean, it's, that's a funny thing because I was thinking about this last night actually, exactly this point. Why does and I didn't think of Adam McDougall, but why does Adam McDougall able to sell his product yep. better than? the hundred other punters out there have got the same sort of product, similar sort of product, and it may even be as nutritionist, it may be just as nutritional, it may be just as good. Is it, is it not the product, but it's more out of McDougall? The product's superior, but we've very carefully over the last 18 months built key relationships with... Um, so when I first started working with Adam, I said, we need to make you an expert, especially taking from a former athlete. So we need to obviously still, you know ensure that people respect that you're a, a former athlete, but make sure you become an expert in your field of someone in health and nutrition. So first step was um, pitching to the Sunday Telegraph, um, a column, a weekly column uh, called MadFit, of which we go on the lives of famous people and get one health tip from them, um, uh, which they can, every punter can um, put into their own life or exercise regime. So that was the first step of, so he became a columnist of health and nutrition. And then the next thing that came is a two book deal with Penguin. Um, so all of a sudden he then became an author in the health and wellness space. And then as soon as we did those, then everything else came. So now he writes for news.com and Huffington Post and you know those types of things. And now he's on the Today Show as a health expert. So rather than him being on there and talking about Rabbitohs playing the Roosters this weekend, he's now in there talking about um, you know, exercise fads and, and weight loss and nutrition. So Reinvented. Reinventing, yeah. That's taken about 18 months, but, um, you know, and it's it's difficult as well. I suppose it's a benefit him already having a profile, that, that helped, but especially when he had a profile as a professional athlete and as a rugby league player to sort of flip it on its head um, in a short period of time. But we couldn't have done that with, you know, if the product was full of sugar and it didn't work, you know, you'd, but is the product his? Is the product what he sells, or is the product Adam McDougal? Adam McDougal. Which part? Where's the product? Where's um, the product? The, the product's the product because I suppose where he where he his background, obviously being a professional athlete, and then as soon as he retired, that he saw a lot of his ex teammates getting a bit of a beer gut and and feeling a bit depressed, and you know that transition of professional athlete into the next 25 years of their, their lives where they've got to earn money. Um, he just saw a product and thinking, you know, all weight loss products, majority full of sugar. Um, protein, because it's a, just a, it's a supplement, it's unregulated. So if he could bring a, a meal replacement that's low in sugar, high in protein, um, and it's, it's highly regulated because we're a food, he just saw a complete hole in the market. Um, and as well, you know, smart guy, he thought, I want to own a product. You know, I don't want to, just got out of investment banking and thought, you know, I, I don't want to work for someone. I want to own a product. So I saw a, a clear hole in the market, um, built the man shake and 
rest is history. But do you think that when Adam McDougall goes in to negotiate with Woolworths, um, there is as much effort and cred coming out of who Adam McDougall is and the way he presents himself yeah. as there is in relation to the product itself? So the product, let's say the product is superior. Yep. I accept what you say. Yep. Uh, let's say it tastes superior and let's say it's packaged superior, you know, it looks right, all those sorts of things. But let's say, um, for argument's sake, we picked uh, someone off the street who slept there overnight, um, was all dressed like shit, um, couldn't string a sentence together, um, and they went to Woolworths and pitched this product. I mean, I'm going to the extreme. Yeah. Um, how important is the Adam McDougal part? Um, it's very important, but one of the going back a step where we talk about relationships is that, you know, one of the biggest partners of the NRL is Woolworths. So the relationship, his relationship with the NRL and the NRL's um, um, relationship with Woolworths and trying to um, promote healthy eating and nutrition with kids and everything. So rather than us just going in straight into Woolworths um, or Coles, you know, we've used what's important to Woolworths. Well, the important to Woolworths is is kids and nutrition and the relations with the NRL. So we're, we've, we've used the relationship. Leverage. With the leverage side of things. But, yeah, I mean, just someone walking off the street with a product into a, a beast like a Woolworths is, um, yeah, I, I would Won't say penetrate. next to impossible. So, so in, the, in terms of those people listening, in negotiation, you've got to really pick your mark and you've got to work on it. Yeah, you can't and, just and, expect and, to do it. And build, build your product first yeah. and, and spend your money on marketing and social and awareness and, you know, get a bit of momentum behind you before trying to pitch a concept to someone. So when people come in here and they, they're pitching to us this great idea about another health product, for example, I mean, we get them in here. You know, yeah. People come in here with all sorts of raw foods, et cetera. Um, one of the frustrations they all express is they've got nobody to distribute for them and basically Woolworths is a distributor. Yeah. Um, and what you're saying to them in terms of a negotiation with these organisations, you've got to be patient. And, and during that patience, patience period and you need patient capital, you've got to actually build up your brand and build up all the leverage points, work out where all the leverage points are for the potential distributor who, therefore, that'll tell you who the distributor's going to be. So you need time. Yeah. Let's, flip, let's flip, flip the script a bit, hey? How do you approach negotiation, Dad? Exactly that. I'm very patient. Is it much different your environment to no 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 I, I or is every negotiation the same yeah for me parties all, arguing over a need and a want um, no I I'm like Nick I will always look for who needs what I've got and what message they're, they're trying to send to the marketplace or alternatively um, what are they trying to penetrate into the marketplace mm. so I I'm very sort of purposeful and slow in my process I don't ever expect anyone just to just to do what I'm after mm. uh, straight up. And I'm usually waiting for them in some respects to come to me. Do you subscribe to, to Nick's model about getting them to like you? I can understand why Nick does it. It's harder to, you know, to say no to somebody that you like. But, I mean, you know, the, the, the alternate uh, viewpoint on that is do you, do you want them to sort of not know you too much, not have too much of a close relationship to you so that you can get a better angle at negotiating what you want? Or? If, I need, if I need to have that, if I suspect that's something I need in the negotiation, like mm. a relationship, I won't do it myself. I'll get someone yep. like Nick to do it. I won't get yep. involved um, because I'm no good at that part. Mm. That's not my strength. Um, you know, like, yeah. Is it better to know that person going into the, into the negotiation it's easier. than not knowing them? It, for me, it's always been yep. easier if I know, if I have a contact in a bank, for example, right. where I'm trying to do a deal with, it's much better for me if I know the individual in there. Um, but, again, you can't – they're smart. You can't give them anything that I want. Mm. Um, they, they, they've got to still want what you've got and you've got to know what it is they want. So you've got to manufacture what it is they mm. want and then make sure you deliver it to them. But it is easier if I know them. But it's very important, my view, as you do – there's a lot less friction in the two surfaces rubbing together if – you have a relationship with them. Now, the relationship part of it is a real art. Um, the art of negotiation should include the art of relationships. And uh, that's where agents, managers and mm. people like Nick's business are, are really important um, because not everybody's great at that relationship building. And the relationship building requires consistency, persistence, quality control, um, you know, um, tone, <clears throat> language, 
you know, there's you can't one on one hand you don't want to be too big a suck, you know, you don't want to be hey hey going, you know, but you got to have something to say. But at the same time, you've got to be making sure that you communicate with those individuals as often as possible, you know, about relevant stuff. How has it changed over the years for you? Like from where you from where these guys are now on the couch, um, the young startup in the corner there, to where you are now, has the has the form and and format for you engaging in a negotiation evolved? Oh, it's much easier for me now because people yeah. sort of tend to come to me. But yeah. when I was in their position, um, there's an assumption now that what I've got everybody needs in my segments. Mm. And because, you know, I've been around long enough to do it. So if you had to give these kids advice, you know, as to how to how to approach and sorry, I called this this guy's actually a lot older than me, the guy on the right, he looks he looks younger, but he's how, how old are you, Alistair? <laughs> he's Pat how old's Pat? Thirty-seven. Okay, sorry about that. Um, but you know, if you had to give them advice, you know, as to how to approach a negotiation at their age, at their stage of of the life cycle in their business, how would that go? Um, they've got to get to know the person, or the, they've got to get to know the segment of who is the buyer of their product, and they've got to get to know relevant individuals or individuals with some authority within those particular organisations mm-hmm. within the segment, and. The only way you can do that is actually, um, I mean, you can keep hitting them up for a pitch. You can keep uh, sending them data. You can, you can, do, you got to build something as for free and relevant. Mm. The free part's really important, I think. You keep providing free information, like uh, just free data, mm. and uh, and just keep hitting them up. I mean, I, look, people hit me up all the time, and I, I mostly ignore it. But then over a time, period of time, I start to direct it to someone else in my organisation and say, well, there might be something in this, you better have a look at it. Because what I'm worried about, FOMO is a big issue. Like, uh, I also, I don't want to miss out. No. Mm. You know, particularly a new idea. I never want to miss out. But at the same time, I can't look at every bloody thing that comes my way. So if these guys are trying to put something to me, they've got to build up something that's um, credible and at the same time compelling. And to do that, there are lots of different ways. I mean, it could be sharp data, or it could be consistent data, or it could be... Just persistence, you know. You want to, you know, you want to reward them their persistence mm. um, without being a pest. Without them being a pest, and that's yeah. that's something they have to gauge. And there's a bit of luck involved in that, yeah. you know. They're, they're going to try and gauge me then, and or or try not to misinterpret me. Mm. So compelling and persistence are two really important factors in them getting seeing getting the light of day from someone like my organisation. And eventually what will happen is that um, what happens in my place is I flick it on to one of my CEOs and I just say, you better have a look at this just in case. Mm. Now, the next hurdle they have is that the person I send it to is so in, caught up in what their daily role is that they don't give it a light of day. They're just doing it because I've asked them to do it. Um, and that, that can happen a lot. Mm. Um, so what they should be doing then is just let me know that oh, you're so-and-so from my organisation has called them Give me some feedback as to how that meeting went, yep. because I, I I send it because you can use that when you negotiate if you, if you were to negotiate with them later on down the track as well. I can use it. I can also gives me a sense of well, they're smart. They mm. they copied me into everything. You know, um, they, they're cleverer than more clever than I thought. Mm. But also, what it does is it puts a if why I mean they're clever is because what they're effectively doing is put a stopper mm. on just getting dealt up. With by a person I referred it to who just looks at it as a matter of process. Mm. I'm sure that happens in your negotiation, Nick, all the time. Um, you might get referred to somebody in the organisation and you just feel like you've just been dealt up and uh, they just basically processed you and just so they can say yeah. to their boss, oh, yeah, I spoke to Fordham yeah, about that concept. And then, you know, we have had examples of that. Yeah. Here. And the, the other thing as well, <laughs> the other thing as well on that, that it's, I suppose, that the, the digital age of being able, when going back to Nick's question as well about have things changed? I think these days, you know, being able to fire off emails, connect with people on LinkedIn, connect with people on social media. You know, I did it just recently. And keep, of, and keep the initial contact in the conversation yeah. or via the CC. Yeah. Always. Yeah. <laughs> so and, you, can't, you can't leave the negotiation. He's correct. always there. And you can find out more yeah. about the person. You know, you can find out. I just did it recently. It's not someone negotiating with someone I'm working with and found them on Instagram, their personal account on Instagram. So all of a sudden I looked at, you know, it's an open account. And all of a sudden, I found out everything about this person. They got three kids. They live in the Shire. They used to work at X. You know, so it's it's amazing. 
the digital age of actually being able to peel back and, and look in and find out a bit more about the person. Because, um, I mean, this fear of missing out, it's a big factor. Yeah. Would you use Today, that? Would you, like, if, you, if, you, if there's something that you know a great deal about, you know, if you say he's got a, uh, you know, you like vintage cars or something like that, and or he's, you see him driving a, a, an antique Ferrari, or you know he's he's got a, he's kicking a footy around or something like that. You'll you'll factor that into. I'm not not with a guy. I, I don't sort of yeah, lace it in there a bit. Yeah, lace it in there a bit if needed. But you know you don't want to seem too desperate that. Yeah. You know, I might have been searching through your social media <laughs> yeah, account. Yeah. It's and a I, bit scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. From Forty-five weeks as, ago. As a yeah. Stalker, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's important to just find out as much as much as possible the people you're dealing with. Um, and yeah, as I said, you know, being having access to be able to communicate with people on email and to be able to phone and yeah. you know, it's one of the things as well. I always give advice to young people who want to get into journalism, um, get into. I think one of the hardest industries to crack these days is journalism into television and radio, and just because there's so few opportunities. Um, and if they're young enough and they can afford to, you know, work for free, uh, do apprenticeships and things like that, mm. um, is just be around, just hang around, just stay in front of them. Be relevant when there's work opportunities. You know, put your hand up, work for free, and all of a sudden, when they turn around, there's a job opening. You know, you're the first cab off the rank. And so many times, I've seen people um, go the hard way of consistently just applying for jobs rather than saying, "I'll get in." You know, I'll get in the front door. And and again, it comes back to familiarity, familiarity, and relationships of of just being present, but again, not to the point of being a pest. You yeah. Know, you don't want to... There's a fine line and, and that, that requires judgment. Yeah. <clears throat> and you've got to exercise that judgment, like mm. keep reassessing the position. Am yeah. I being a pest? Am I being a pest? Am I being a pest? Oh, hang on. Can I actually go harder now? Can I go... As you're doing this all the time? Yeah. It's like uh, hot, hot and cold here. Const- constantly reassessing and, you know, the, where, where the, the gauge is at of... Um, you know, again, I, I always find as well, um, and these days when so many things are on on email and phones and everything else, I always always try and engage someone first on a on a call or or email, but then try and meet them face to face. And I, mm-hmm. I suppose that's another bit of advice from my end of, of for the listeners in terms of negotiation is trying to eyeball people. You know, <laughs> I was such a, say, you're going to make your pre- make your physical presence known again. Yeah, no, it's a it's a, <laughs> such an well, again, it's yeah. it's reports, relationships, it's it's going out of your way to go and see someone. Um, yeah. that's so important, you know. So many people can hide behind email and phone and everything else. Um, and especially in big organizations, I found it more and more these days that um, we're doing something pe- different, aren't pe- you? Yeah, mm-hmm. and people are afraid to make decisions, you know, and that's the Oh, in the example before about talking about supermarkets and getting into those things that someone with an unknown product trying to get into Woolworths or Coles, it's like, well, go to the next level below, go to a, you know, Harris Farm or something like that where privately owned, the person you're speaking to actually can make a decision um, and not going through an 18, 24-month process of knocking on the same door and building a relationship with someone and then all of a sudden the door around. semi-opens and that person's now moved on to another role. We'll and do both. <laughs> Do both, yeah. Yeah. And uh, how important, Nick, is um, uh, or not just patience but time. Um, <clears throat> so you, my view on negotiation is you should never drop your pants until you have to. And in terms of negotiation, you've got to be prepared to hold out your position, not ridiculously but hold out your position. Like just yeah. hang in there, hang in there because – and don't, don't panic, it, it'll come. You know, like if you just, if you've got the right product. Yeah. And it, you should only get the right outcome if you've got the right product in the first place. Mm. So if you've got the right product, eventually you'll get there. So if you've got them on the hook, don't be hassling them to finalise the negotiation. Mm. Mm. Just take your time. And I suppose one of the luxuries in that point of a negotiation is having, an op- having options. Mm. So always having a fallback option. Um, not do, do, do you let them know about? The, I mean, do you, do you try to sort of make it known to them that if I don't, if you don't do it with me, yeah, I'm going to yeah. go with someone else in yeah, in a very discreet way. Yeah, but sure. I'd, I'd never for a duck shot auction scenario of saying, well, if you don't do this, I'm going to go over here yeah. because don't try and strong arm them or anything. Yeah. yeah, but subtly let them know that you know you have options. Do you like leak it out or do you? Um, What's that? Do you leak it out or do you actually? And he suddenly uh, know, let someone Woolworths know, if you don't do it with me, I'm going to go to Coles. I mean... I, I think it's subtly letting someone know, but, yeah, I, I'm not into leaking things and, you know, especially when you're dealing with high-profile people, it's it's not something you want to... 
in, in the marketplace of, you know, I, I think there's um, – and the other thing as well, that's a risk in the negotiation of, you know, if something is leaked and you're negotiating someone it's confidential information and it's – then it's the DNA's traced back to you, well – then there's the, the, all the trust that you've built up. Yeah, you've built up over the past six, 12 months goes goes out the door. Again, it's where it becomes important that if you're dealing, we keep using Woolworths, but if, you, if you're dealing with a person, if you're dealing with Woolworths, try and deal with a person at Woolworths who you know, mm-hmm. who that, that, that sort of level of um, understanding allows you to subtly let them know yeah. that you would go to Coles. You don't yeah. even have to say that. They can sort of get the concept, well, this is the sort of bloke I'm dealing with. If, if I don't do a deal with him and I want the product enough, if I try to burn him on the pricing, yeah. he might go to Coles because yeah. I know him in, because I've met him face-to-face. So I, got, I, get, I get a sense of the guy. Yes. Whereas if you're dealing by email <laughs> or you're just dealing with uh, at the wrong levels yeah. and have no relationship, they're never going to get the fact that you might go somewhere else. Yeah. In fact, they don't even care. I, was, um, I think I was one of the first people to jump on LinkedIn, I don't know, 10 years ago. And I've never – I'd be great to get some, someone from LinkedIn on the show at some stage because mm. where I found LinkedIn quite valuable to me is um, say I'm dealing with um, a certain person at a certain organisation and then they move off to a, another role, another organisation. Unless they send me their new details or say, hey, I'm out of here, I'm, this is where I'm at now. Mm. It's being able to – someone's at X company and they pop up at B company. Um, but if I'm trying to connect with someone or you're trying to connect with someone that you want to work with – being able to, you know, often someone in your own network will know that person or be connected to that person. So that's where I found LinkedIn quite an quite powerful, a, yeah. quite a powerful tool um, and a contact tool. But, you know, outside of that, it's mm. I'm still trying to get my head around whether LinkedIn's really useful for me. Um, I see they're improving, but it'd be good to get someone from LinkedIn on the show. Yeah, absolutely. That's actually, I, know, I know I've got a contact there, but, you know, I, I wouldn't say he's the right guy to get in, but I'll, I might send him a LinkedIn message. <laughs> and ask him to connect me with his boss. Um, can I? How hard? How important is it to be tough? Like, uh, you know, like when it's required. Only when it's required. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when like, you, is there any point where you spit the dummy in? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, put on the theatrics. Yeah. Um, n- not not the theatrics, but I think being you know we're um, we're incredibly protective over our clients and people we work with, and I think once it once the communication really breaks down or or it um, starts to get a bit uh, heated, well, you know, it's, it's easy to fire up there and, and, you know, to make sure that people know that you're not a pushover and you're not going to be pushed around. So sure. I think save it for then, but don't I, – I, I always hate hearing about people going to a negotiation and, you know, fist on the table and I want this and I want that. No, it's a yeah, – it th- that doesn't work with people at all. I saw what Todd Sampson was saying when he was in. He was saying don't, don't get anyone's back up against the wall because then the whole thing falls, falls away. Yeah, don't, don't, yeah. You, if you put the sword to somebody, yeah. you're just likely either they're either going to run or attack you. Yeah. So. And again, people are afraid of making decisions these days, and that's that's a frustrating thing for anyone in business. Yeah. Um, you know, people don't want to be that guy that signed off on that. Because there's know? so many options too, by the way. Yeah. I mean, there's 100 options, and you think, oh, shit, is that the right one or not the right one? May not, if I go back 20 years, there weren't the options. Yeah. I was only thinking about how much harder a business is Yellow Brick Road is today compared to what Wizard was. Because there was very few options in the wizard days, and then you know, I, you know, there was very few investors around. Kerry Pack was one of them. But you know, if you're doing investment today, you'd be thinking, well, should I go to the market? Should I just go to some of these um, VCs? Should I go to find the Kerry Pack equivalent? Should I be, do a listing? I mean, like, there's too many options, and when there's more options, sometimes I'll be going to a restaurant with. A, I hate going to restaurants with massive menus. I'd rather go to a restaurant and say three entrees and yeah, three, three main meals. Yeah, it's just. I was, I was only saying that the other day. There's a great little business around. There's actually one in Potts Point now. Uh, it's called Coffee, Tea and Me. It started in Redfern where I live um, with my family. And it's in, a, it's in an old barber shop. So the barber shop would be two metres uh, meters by four metres. It's tiny. And so no one else would lease his space. So I think he leases it for you know, a couple of hundred bucks a week. And he does great coffee and great bagels. That's it. And... I would be surprised if he didn't sell, you know, a thousand bagels a day, cash only business. So now he's, when you work out the space that it is, but he only sells he'll bagels. Th- he'll thank you later for tipping off the ATO. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, what he means is he doesn't need a factory. He's in yeah. yeah. 
which we're going to talk about shortly. Cash is king, though. <laughs> but, <laughs> to be but, honest. But also, because, you know, there's nothing better than getting the cash on the till there and then. I mean, there's nothing worse than having to wait to get bloody paid. Yeah. You know, like, oh, I hate that. Yeah. There's nothing worse than waiting 45 days or 50 days or a month yeah. or two months to get your money after you've already done the work and spent the day. Yeah. I mean, so cash is really important. <clears throat> Just on that as well, in terms of options and long menus, there's a, a mate of mine owned a pub in Surrey Hills. Uh, the Excelsior Hotel, and he's a really good publican. And when he took it over, um, he you know got a new chef in and mm. changed the menu. And the menu still was a pub menu, um, and he couldn't work out why he hadn't cracked it. And then Justin Hems comes along, buys it, and turns it into a Mexican restaurant. Mm. And the place you can't move in the place; it's packed. So he took away people having to go through a menu and saying, "Do I want a shepherd's pie? Do I want a do I want a pasta? Or do I want a steak?" It's like no. You know what you're getting when you go there. You yeah, know? you think Mexican, you go there. Yeah, so it's it's taking taking the the thinking away. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. choices. Um, yeah, because we, we're confronted with too many choices today. Actually, we're looking for no choice. Uh, you know, you want to. One of my mates from Australia used to be really good. He was a really great restaurateur. He now lives in Bali. But the thing I used to love about going to his restaurant, as soon as I walk in there, he, I'd sit down there, and he had, and he walked straight to me and. Uh, the girl come and say, you know, do you would like a menu? And he said, no, don't worry about it, not getting the menu. He said, uh, don't, I'll sort it out for you. And he's, I wouldn't even have a thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and my yeah. meal would turn up and it's like my mum cooking for me or something, you know. Like you know, it was a beautiful meal. Like, and no matter what he served me up, I thought it was great because I, I just didn't have to make a choice. The food, yeah. food was always good. But, I mean, like he just took the choice away. Not, when you go to a restaurant today and if Neil Perry walks up to you and you sit down there, and you're at one of his restaurants like Rockpool, for example, and instead of getting the menu, which is normally what happens and you've got to look through it, imagine if he just walked up to you and said, you know, Nick, um, look, mate, don't look at the menu. I'm going to sort out your lunch. You go, yeah, fuck yeah, how good is this? This is gold, you know, because you think you're getting something special. Yeah. And uh, that is like, uh, you know, that familiarity is that oh, yeah. so good. That, yeah. That's the best, the best yeah. there is. Because, yeah. I mean, we, we actually don't want to make too many choices now. No. So don't give them too many choices. No. I mean, yeah. So in, the, in, the, in terms of just closing off the negotiation piece, Nick, maybe just three things you would suggest? Um, three important things you would do? I would say uh, relationships, um, uh, perseverance, and making sure that your product is bulletproof in terms of um, you know exactly what your product is, that it's highly desirable and and that they're not going to get it anywhere else. So, um, yeah, they're probably my three sort of key piece of advice on entering into a negotiation. I'd, I actually would say the same three things, or I might use different terms, but uh, I'd say knowledge of knowledge where the demand is and yeah. what the demand is, where and what it is, who, who are the people likely to uh, have choices, in other words, have options for yourself. Yeah. Um, one falls over, then you've got someone else to talk to. And uh, finally, be patient. Don't yeah. expect it to happen quickly because mm. it never does right what's on next Nico I, th- I think the boys over there have got everything they need they, um, they're a financial services technology business and this is a bit of an ambush they're probably going to come over now and try and negotiate with you uh, okay boys come on right. over <laughs> grab a mic before I get this wrong again Pat and Alistair Right. Um, the boys came and saw me uh, end of last year. We had a good chat over a coffee. Um, they've got a, uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, an invoice discounting business. It's, it's, it's set up to and designed to improve cash flow for, for small businesses. Guys that, you know, not, it's not, they're not bad and doubtful debts. They're not, you know, um, crappy, junky um, invoices. They're, it's, it's simply a timing thing. You know, you've got a 90-day invoice from, from NAB or one of those, you know, reputable organisations. You need your money now. You go to see these guys. They've got a marketplace set up. They do all the relevant checks and, and balances and um, hopefully get your, your money sooner. Okay, so, who's who? Which one's which? So I'm Pat. This is Alistair. Okay, um, who's going to do the pitch to me? Well, we can uh, kick it off by um, firstly just yeah, re-emphasising what Nick said. Um, we're actually... Uh, taking a step back to just being invoice finance. Um, we're looking at more holistically, looking at cash flow. So we, um, we look at that cash flow cycle for an SME and kind of understand the challenges within that cycle. And our whole philosophy is building tools to kind of smooth out those, those, those hurdles. So your typical hurdles within a cash flow cycle is, um, of course, um, making sure you negotiate the right terms and making sure that you're actually – that, that process of invoicing is, is, is rock solid. 
because as soon as it's not, that's an excuse for not to not to be paid. Um, then there's also forecasting. So actually having a clear understanding of what cash flow you have, what, what cash you have coming in, what ha- cash you have going out. Um, and, and then of course, there's the whole point of optimizing that cash flow. So we've looked at that, uh, that whole cycle and then we're, we're building tools around those. And those tools, um, Firstly, they're going to help us optimize and well, forecast cash flow better for an SME. So this is this is a tool for an SME to understand six months in advance. Okay, when are those those challenges coming, um, and how do how do I make sure I can get through those? Because it's not about you know survival; it's about growth. So you want to have the cash available to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other side, of course, we want to optimize. So that's where we're using our uh, invoice finance or invoice discounting model to help them to okay, help them the, accelerate. The, what do you guys? Where you come from? What's your backgrounds? Uh, so my background's finance. Um, I started off in the UK working for a bond fund. Um, then I came back here uh, about 2002, worked for a hedge fund for a few years. Um, then I went to Hong Kong for uh, a little over eight years. and I was working um, in equities um, as an analyst and portfolio manager. Um, and then for the last three years, I've just been working on startup projects um, and sort of, yeah, I guess trying to trying to work out um, where the opportunities are in finance, um, in fintech. Um, obviously, the industry is going through a lot of changes, um, and that's presenting a lot of opportunities. So. And your background? Um, my background's uh, financially orientated as well. I started at NAB in corporate agri, corporate agri business. Um, then I went over to the UK for five years, and I worked in a, a very similar business. Um, it was called Market Invoice. Um, so that was the first uh, UK P2P invoice finance lender over there. I uh, worked with them from pretty much start up till last year and was, you know, gained a lot of experience there. Saw FinTech really, you know, blossom over in the UK. It's, it's going gangbusters over there now. Um, and I was just buying my time waiting for Australia to really catch on. And uh, it's quite a buzz now. Like it was, it was, a, I suppose. Before you go any further, you guys just recently rebranded. What's the name of the business now? Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we're now called Skipper. Um, so Skipper, take take control of your cash flow. It's a S-K-I-P-P-R. We'd love cool. to have the P-E-R, but uh, that's a very popular domain. But that's uh, more startup style anyway, where it's just the R in the end. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah just drop the vowels. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Skipper Cash Skipper cash Flow, you know, it's a, a more embodying holistic brand now mm-hmm. because we've got those tools underneath it that represent, you know, each part of the cash so flow cycle. I'm just curious on the uh, factoring, on the um, invoice discounting side. So... Let's say I've got an invoice from our favourite bank. I've got an invoice out to our favourite bank, NAB. So I've done some work for NAB, for argument's sake. Mm-hmm. Um, NAB don't pay until forty-five days after the beginning of the the next month. For example, I don't know if they do, or if they don't, but I'm just making mm-hmm. this up. Yep. Um, so, like, I do the work on the first of February. Um, they don't pay me till sometime on that formula, sometime in March. Okay, fifteenth of March, for argument's sake. But my cash flow, I'm running my business <clears throat> and I need that $10,000 because I've got to pay staff, I've got to pay rent, blah, blah, blah. Mm. I come along to you guys. Is this how it works? Yep. Or online? Yeah. Do you go to online? It's, all, it's 100% online. So I make a, some, sort of, some, some sort of application to you, mm-hmm. tell you the circumstances, obviously fill out all the fields. Mm-hmm. Uh, you say to me, okay, Mark, that ten grand will give you how much? Well, I mean, if it's NAB, it's you know presumably a high quality debtor. Um, if you've got a history of um, you know doing business with NAB, and you know it's it's not a case of them, um, you know they, they pay you they pay you on time. It's just that you have to wait for that payment, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we can verify that. Um, then you'd you'd be looking at sort of a one you know potentially a one one percent discount on a thirty day basis. So on the ten thousand bucks, how much do I get? Well, ninety nine cents on the. Yeah, but essentially up front you get uh, you get your eighty five percent of it up front straight up, okay, right. yep. and then when it gets paid, we'll give you the the remaining residual, yep. less the cost of capital. So okay, so cost, okay, that's one percent. So, and you obviously lower the cost of capital. That's where you make your money, I guess, is it? Yeah. And there's a fee in there as well? We, we take a discount fee. So we don't actually fund the invoices ourselves. No, I was going to ask you that. Where's the money coming from? Mm. Yeah, so it's, so it's a marketplace. Um, so the business itself doesn't fund the invoices. We no. have a, you know, there'll, there'll be structures set up to... to so you like, do you guys, are you guys uh, selling into a marketplace? you got like a investor marketplace that follows you? Yeah, we do. So ideally, uh, when, the, when the marketplace is up and running, um, we will have... Um, We'll have investors that come on board um, and they set mandates for what debtors they would like exposure to. And on that basis, we can then fund 
you know, the invoices that come through, you know, depending if they're matching up with those debtors. Um, so like peer-to-peer for, for SMEs? Yes. That's right, yeah. Peer-to-peer funding for SMEs, invoicing. So yeah. It's a bit complicated to say, but it's like, it's, it's like what Matt Simons does for Society One. Yes. Yes. So you guys build the algorithm or someone else does it? Yes, yeah, so we, we do that all internally. Right, so, you, so what you guys got is you've got a platform, electronic platform, mm-hmm. digital platform, which um, assesses, in our case, the example here, the NAB debt, um, me as a provider of the service to NAB, I guess. Yep. Um, and then puts it up on your platform and some investor out there could be um, Nick Fordham who's looking to get a return on 10 grand that he's got in his pocket at the moment mm-hmm. and he wants to get a quick return. It's better than what he's going to get in the bank. If he puts it in the bank, he's going to get 2%, maybe less. He's thinking, well, I wouldn't mind getting a better return for that two-month period, whatever it is, three-month period. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick bids on that. Is that what we're talking about? Nick Fordham will say, yeah, I'll take that um, NAB debt. I'll, I'll give Boris 8500 um, he advances me the money through you guys. You guys collect the, the 10000 from NAB. Yep, yeah, that's correct. And you give me the balance and Nick gets in return and you take a clip. Correct. That's right. That's it? Yep. That's, that's the it. process. Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay so that's cool. So it's a peer-to-peer, sort of nearly like a lending business, but it's a peer-to-peer financing business. Correct. Definitely, yes. yes. So yes. I think it's it's, impo- it's an important um, but subtle distinction mm. is that we're not actually, or that the investors aren't lending money, mm. um, they're purchasing an asset. Mm. So. And they take, all, they take all the risk, do they? Uh, yeah. 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 Oh, I'm curious about how you how you guys evaluate all this debt because I know I, Matt Simons did a brochure shop at Bell Potter and he's incredibly sophisticated what he oh, does with, with Society One. I mean, mm. how good are you guys at evaluating the quality of that debt, you know, whether or not um, uh, there's, a, there's an existing relationship, have, you know, I mean, uh, um, how good is your, how good is your, pro- like how well do you, how, I mean, cost of capital, right? You're going to have to be constantly assessing the value of that asset class, mm. um, the opportunity cost, where else I can invest, um, what that what that cost of capital is for me in that particular asset class? How do you guys get it, get into all that sort of stuff? Yeah, I think when you're looking at um, a model like Society Ones, like they're yeah. they're providing a lot of personal lending, yeah. personal lending products, yeah. so it's far high risk. Yeah, uh, it's unsecured lending. Yeah, um, you know, we're providing invoice finance against an asset, and we understand the nature of that asset pretty clearly. So, of course, we do the typical credit. You know, credit analysis. So yeah. you can look at uh, transactional track record with that business. So you're looking via zero. We're pulling in their accounts. We're looking at their financials, looking at their bank statements. Then we're really drawing focus onto their debtor. And so you look at that debtor. If they're, you know, we're looking at B two B here, and really, you know, the main problems within this whole. Uh, in the whole market is B to big B, so business to big business. What's That's the, where the cash flow issues are. What's the intermediary there that allows you to check that invoice is in fact um, real? It exists. You know, like so that that's that's part of our one of the tools that we're right, uh, we're yeah. building. So yeah. you know, that's there are systems out there. They're called EDI systems. Okay. Um, you know, big customers like Woolworths they do use online. Uh, elect data, they're called elect, electronic data um, transfer systems, essentially. So that invoice is on a on, on right. a portal. You can log into that and you can see, you know, that the invoice the goods have been delivered. The invoice has been received. So it's going to get paid. That, that provides you a lot of certainty that the payment's going to be made. Yeah. So you've ticked one box there. Then you understand, okay, it's Woolworths. So yeah. they're, going to, they're not going to fall over anytime soon, even though they've been looking pretty shaky recently. Um, but, but they're rated, so. Exactly. So there's a, it's, it's, it's a pretty much a, a done deal there. Like you know they're going to get paid. Just make sure it's not a master's invoice. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. um, as of last week. Or Dick week. Smith. <laughs> yeah. Dick Smith as well. Won't be touching oh, yeah. any Dick Smith invoices for the uh, foreseeable future, that's for sure. Um, and, and once you, so if you've just legitimised that invoice, you mitigate a lot more risk. So when you're comparing like our uh, risk appetite compared to like a, just a short-term loan or a personal loan, mm. you know we're, we've taken a lot more, we've taken a few more steps to mitigate more risk. Mm. Um, so and, and that's where these tools are going to help us. And do you price it? Do you put a suggested range out there the marketplace, or the market comes back to you and says this is what we want to pay? Yeah, so there's, there's two ways an invoice can be sold, essentially. There, there's one in the auction-based model, um, which you referred to earlier. Um, and then there's also um, where the buyer creates mandates and they essentially they dictate the parameters of how right. they would like their portfolio yep. allocated. Um, and then we use internal pricing for that. What's the hard part? Is the hard part. There's three, three hard parts to this, but what's the mm. hardest part? Finding the invoice customers, like, you know, the person who's issued the invoice. There's the algorithm, make sure that works, mm-hmm. keeping that 
Nice. And, and then, then find the investors, which mm. is the hardest part. Yeah, so I think um, I think lead generation um, is probably the hard part. Um, it's a new product, um, I guess, trying to uh, explain how this works to people. Um, trust, getting their trust, gaining their trust, because you know taking on funding is a huge decision for a business. Um, and you know traditionally they've gone to the banks. Um, if they can't go to the banks, and they go to sort of you know a reputable finance um, name. Um, and so yeah, we're, we're this is a new model, and it's, it's like. For a lot of people, it's sort of you know, getting them comfortable with that new model. So the um, the because uh, um, you're looking for pun- they're looking for punters essentially to invest in the, uh, this is was my and you know there's always a negative to any business so please don't be offended but um, there'd be no institutions out there that have a mandate for this stuff you know so you're relying on like high net worth guys and family offices and people to buy SMEs. That. Well, no, no, the oh, invest- on the investment yeah. on the investment side, I think. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I mean, the SMEs love it, right? Because, like you were saying, I mean, if you're a big corporate, you can go to a bank and get some short-term mares or whatever to to get you over the line, right? Um, but if you're a SME, you know, like who's got an, you know, it's very challenging. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. I mean, that you guys might be their only option for finance. Right? Yeah, you know, we're filling a massive void in the SME market. You know, Who's your competitors? I mean, because there are um, um, old school factoring yeah. organisations, well, banks really start to do it. Um, who, who are you? Well, there's the factory market. You know, it's a $64 billion market right now. Um, that's factoring and invoice discounting. So that's, and that's mostly between, the banks. That's mostly the banks. And then there's those little factor factor houses out there. And then there's, you know, the likes of Scottish Pacific. Um, yeah, they're, they're, that's that model. That's invoice discounting. But then there's also the short-term lenders out there. And, of course, there's why, the bank. Why, why, why are you better than the traditional factoring organisation, what's better about what you're doing? It's coming for, for in, a consumer, oh, for an SME, I should say. It's really, we're, we've looked at that model and we've gone, okay, well, what are the main shortfalls of that model? And we've taken them out. And really, it comes down to how how you uh, charge the customer and how they use the product. And so ours is you know, far more flexible. So just give you an example. A factoring line, traditionally, you sign up, you sign up to, and you pay to sign up. It's a structured line. It's charging against your monthly receivables ledger um it's pretty much locked in for the year or even two years um so there's a lot of you know hidden fees and costs in there um and they can really blow out so you you know you can't just look at the percentage interest um we've t- we've stripped that back and saying well you just select what you need to finance so you look at your ledger and go per okay, transaction yep per transaction pays you use and uh, fund as you need. Um, you look at the ledger each time. Each time you, you're probably using our. You know, we've got a cash flow forecasting tool. We're, 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 it's a free product. We've built for businesses so they can understand. You know when they need finance. Um, they go okay. Well, right now I need I need to unlock another 50k to make sure I can cover month end costs. They pick invoices based on the risk profile of those invoices, which you know we're we're going to give them foresight of and go. This is the pricing you're going to get. And then they just fund against those invoices. So you're only ch- they're only getting charged against the invoices they actually want funding from, um, and 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 you literally turn that on and turn that off whenever you need it. Okay, so um, you, you you've built in some subtle but probably important differences. Um, where are you guys up to now? How are you finding funding all this yourselves? I mean, like your, your ops, your operational funding, and how are you doing it? Yeah, so we've done we've done a small capital raise. Um, the man at Macquarie that I'm yet to meet. Where's he at today? He's at work. Uh, <laughs> 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 got a, they got a partner. He works at Macquarie Bank. He, he also emails me every now and then. Yeah, so we yeah we've done it. We've done a small cap raise um, through family and friends. Um, we've got so enough- typical startup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you go to your family and friends. Yeah, so yeah. I mean. We were self-funded um, for the first six months. Then we did a small cap raise. Um, so we're still, I guess, we're still you know, majority owners of the business. Um, and I think now the big focus is just, you know, the most, I guess, the most important source of funding is revenue. Um, and that's our big mm. focus going forward. So in terms of your, your, your stage of growth, where you are, have you built everything? I mean, do you guys sort of sit in a, an incubator somewhere? I mean, how are you doing this? Yeah, we're we're at um, actually housed at uh, the Tyro Tyro Payments FinTech Hub. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been there for nearly eight months now, I think. And uh, you know that's that's been you know, invaluable. You know the, the the connections, the introductions, and even just the mentorship there is, is fantastic. Is down on Spring near Spring Street in the city there? No, uh, it's on it's uh, well, near Barrack Street on Clarence. Oh, okay, yeah, that's yeah, where Tyro is. Yeah, there's yeah, a few yeah, hubs yeah. around now. Yeah. But I, well, I suppose there's two dedicated fintech hubs. That's Stone and Chalk and Tyro. Um, and so, we, yeah, we've been, we're, we're there and we're using, you know, really leveraging those resources as well. And so it's been fantastic. So what do they offer you? Uh, well, it's essentially, at the moment, it's, it's, it's quite a 
just a co-working space with you know, useful connections. So, so just to explain that in. people listening that don't really know what you're talking about. So, yeah. I mean, what do you got there? A desk? Have you got free internet? I mean, what do you got? That's right. Yeah, so, we're, well, first of all, we've got heavily subsidised desks. So we're staying in a pretty nice uh, office um, and we're, pay- we're not paying much for it. Um, and so... Um, what do you pay? Uh, a month? 100 bucks a month or what do you... No, it's 600 bucks a month per desk right. or thereabouts. And you share a desk or you got a desk for each? Or? No, we have, we have <laughs> desks for each member, member yeah, yeah. of the team. How, how many in your team? Four. Four of you, right. Yeah. So 2400 bucks a month you pay for rent, effectively. Yeah, yeah, yeah so. for, for, you know, grade A office space. And so desk means chair, desk, drawers. Printing. Wi-Fi. 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 Yeah, yeah, meeting kitchen. rooms. Yeah, yeah. Air conditioning. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> yeah, Which definitely. really matters yeah. this time of year. <laughs> Better than the Some home you don't office. get on the Mark Porter show. We love you to build up a sweat. Really bootstrap it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, and, but I think the, the important point is that you know, Tyro's um, Australia's newest bank. Um, oh, and tell me a little bit. I don't know them. Who are they? Yeah, so they started in the early 2000s uh, and they, their focus was payments. Um, so the, you know, the, the point of um, sale terminals that you see, um, they're, one of the, well, they're one of the sort of key players in that space. Um, and yeah, they've just grown really rapidly um, because they're focused on technology. Um, and I think... Yeah, I think it's I think it's fair to say that that's, that hasn't been a strong point for a lot of the banks um, over the last you know sort of fifteen twenty years, um, and that's that's a real dif- differentiating point for Tyro. And do they do they get a part of your part equity? They get some equity in you guys, or first no, look no. at you or something? I don't, so they I guess they're doing it because it, there's. Um, it's, I guess it's part of their philosophy because they started up as a fintech company, you know, 15 years ago when no one, you know, the word fintech didn't exist. Um, yeah, and they went through all the trials and tribulations that um, that we're all going through now. So I guess it's like it's something that they philosophically believe in is supporting fintech businesses because there's, you know, the, the market's been dominated by the big banks for too long. Um, and yeah, it's uh, they 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 really want to try and encourage. How long does you stay there? I mean, you're going to move in forever, but how's it work? Well, yeah, it's all, it's all subject to how well we go, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So they're, assessing, they're assessing your progress, are they? Uh, yeah, yeah there's, there's certain elements of structure around it. Um, I think a lot of that's actually happening this year because they're quite a new hub. Um, I think there's a little bit more if a formal structure coming to play in the next couple of months. Um, and so we're, we're going to be intrigued to see what that looks like. When's your next round? Of raising money? Yeah. Well, I guess it, it, it's not really on a set timetable. Um, it will depend on, you know, what we see. Um, you know, we find, you know, an investor that comes along and says, yep, I can do this and this this for you. Mm. Um, and, you know, our interests are aligned, our, you know, our, our f- philosophies are aligned, um, then we, we would certainly look at that. Um, strategic, you want a strategic partner. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So it's not, I mean, we're not, we're not desperate for cash right now. And, and as we're about to launch... Um, we're going to go through that. I guess we're going to start having revenues, um, you know, in the next few months. So when are you going to launch? Well, we're, we can actually. The, the funding platform's live now, um, and the cash flow tour will be live in the next few weeks. But it's very much a testing phase. So we're not. We haven't actually. We're not. We're not going hard just yet. You got um, live clients on there, though. Like, uh, <clears> we, we will in the next few weeks. Right. So Skipper will go live. Is one P or two P's? Two P's. Two P's. Two P's. So yeah. Skipper will go live. You know, so someone's listening, listening to this and they're an SME, they can go on a Skipper as of now. Yep. Yes. Yeah, the, the website's live, skipper.com.au yeah. is live. Do, um, they, do they transact or do they just test? Well, they, they can. <clears throat> I mean, it, it's very much um, at, the, at this point in time, it's just clients that understand that we this is where we are in the process. Um, I guess, you know, every business has to start somewhere. And, uh, yeah, it's very, much a, it's very much a testing phase. So we can fund. Um, and, um, yeah, but we have limited... Is there any risk for them putting themselves up there, like at this, you know, this testing stage of your, of your, of your technology? Uh, no. I mean, not, yeah. not in the sense that it's, it's more about getting the product fit right as opposed sure. to, you know, using them to see if we yeah. can actually, you know, not Fund lose it. their money. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's very much um, a case of, um, yes, we can fund you, um, but we just want to make sure the product, you know, makes sense for as many SMEs as possible. And is it, have you built this, uh, and we're going to have to close up now, but are you, you built this up on a model that exists somewhere else in the world, like in the UK, you mentioned the UK. Yeah, I, I worked at a, at a company that offers the same uh, finance model. Online? Yep. Yeah, it's uh, called Market Invoice, and they've done an online P2P invoice. And finance. has it done well? Like it? Yeah, well, it's it's a you know the market leading uh, product over there, uh, and they've done six six hundred and fifty million pounds through the platform in in, in uh, invoice volume. So you know, it's still a very small part of the market, but you know they, they've What's had that a revenue for the business. Oh, you know, it's, for them, it's about uh, about two and a half to three million a year in revenue. So it's still small fry, but it's a, yeah. it's all it's a scale business, yeah, you know. Yeah. So, so you sort of believe in the in the asset class, really. 
the um, asset class, up, yeah, as definitely. opposed to like you know small market, but you reckon it's going to grow. I think there's a lot of opportunity out there. Like you look at the invoice finance market, sixty four billion, but then that's a market that's servicing, you know, a very uh, finite part of the of the of the SME space because you have to meet certain criteria in order to be able to use invoice finance in the right way. Our product's a little bit more malleable and flexible to other businesses. So we're going to actually, you know, our focus is actually to go into verticals, different markets, uh, parts of the SME market that don't usually use debt finance mm. in this way, like for, to fund cash flow. Um, how, do you, how do you educate, I mean, I'm going to finish off on this because I'm keen to get the nod, but how do you educate, I mean, is it important for you to go out and educate SMEs about cash flow. I mean, I don't even think SMEs understand what the hell cash flow means. I mean, they just go on there. So, should I've got a product, got to pay rent, revenues will come. This education process needs to come first. So, I think that's that's the key that's the key point about our business. We're, we're not necessarily a funding platform. We're more of a cash flow management platform with a funding component to it. Yeah. Um, and so, all the tools that we um, that we're building are helping businesses understand their cash flow better. And they're free. Correct. Oh, well, the funding tool's not free. Um, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, but the, uh, that's, that's the revenue-facing side. The other stuff, the planning and all that sort of stuff. Is yeah, the, yes. That's correct. Right. Yeah, the yeah. cash flow tool's free and it's a way for a business to help understand it and it helps us understand their business as well. And it also them. helps you introduce yourself to somebody and allows you then, I mean, that, that's all, the old give something away free. It definitely helps with acquisition. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> about your, your acquisition strategy, and, which and, is clever. And that acquisition <clears> goes down to, you know, towards advisors and accountants as well. You know, they're, they're a key point of education for an SME. Like everyone still relies on their accountant to understand how they're going. Mm. So, you know, we're, we're designing that tool in order to be useful for an accountant to feed back information down the line as and well. And the key will be for you to get this, the message out to everybody to use Skipper. And I, I mean, to get into Skipper for the reasons you've just explained, mm. particularly your best allies are going to be the accountants and um, advisors. Yeah, that's, that's what MIB and Zero did, you know? Like, they all use their stuff. And that, that's would, right. that would have been MIB and Zero just shoving it down their throat every that's day. Right, yeah. you know? yeah, Zero has been a very yeah. big evangelist of, uh, of, you know, financial management for SME these days. And, like, they're. they're you know, we're, we're using Xero now. We're using their API. Um, we're going to be connecting it across all the other accounting platforms as well. The more APIs we can bolt into, so more accounting software platforms we can bolt into, the better data we have and the more market access we have as well. Sure. Okay, well, good luck to Skipper. I mean, it's a, it's a complex thing to explain to on a show like this. Um, but it's a, as SMEs grow and grow and grow, particularly in this country, it's going to become, I think, cash flow is the most important part for an SME to be successful or otherwise. That's right. I don't mean in the idea stage, but I mean in the sustainability part of their business, in other words, survival. For an SME to survive, don't give a shit how good the idea is. They've got to be able to manage the cash flow. Agreed. And, um, and understand the cash flow, or just understand the concept. So uh, good luck, guys. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Thank thanks for having us on your show as well. You're most welcome. Yeah. Appreciate it, Mark. Thank Cheers, you. guys. Looking forward, this is the week ahead. So next week, I, I thought we might uh, have a look at um, some internal TMBS plans for, for this year. What do you reckon? Have a bit of a chat. What do you mean you, you want us to talk about our plans? Yeah. Why yeah, not that's talk cool. about how we're in Gatlin? We're going to have a planning well, meeting. Well, I want to... I I want to. Well, I want to. You know, make sure like, we get a lot of these guys. You know, hit us up every week, and I just want to. You know, keep it, keep a touch on our audience and stay engaged and make sure that we're, um, you know, uh, gr- growing with you guys. You know, I mean, having having all you guys around us make us what we are. So. I guess what we should be doing is asking um, yeah. listeners to tell us, email us in, or tweet sure. something or whatever. Just say, well, what it is they want us to talk about this year? What do they yeah. want us to cover off and look at Absolutely. and research? And um, and how important is it to, to bring in startups like these guys and listen to their story? Yep, absolutely. Okay, I'm looking forward to that. That'll be cool. Okay, guys, um, that's a wrap. We'll go Happy we'll see you guys this time next week. This has been the Mark Boris Podcast. You can follow Mark on Twitter, at Mark Boris. And find out more at markboris.com.au. 